0: is the 2019 Surface Travel Awards finalist. In 2021, she won the gold key for Best Lobby and Luxury for the Capella Bangkok. She brings an unparalleled amount of knowledge to each and every new project. She has over 25 years of experience in luxury hotel and residential design. She's a keynote speaker, which I'm really excited to hear about. She is a principal at BAMO in San Francisco. Ladies and gentlemen, and wilkinson welcome in
1: hello great to see you dan
0: it's so good to see you and thank you for uh for being a part of this defining hospitality thing that's happened um i'm just grateful for your time and your perspective so thank you
1: yeah it's awesome to be here i i'm looking forward to our conversation
0: yes um so having had my start in san francisco many many moons ago um BAMO has always been a fixture there, um, especially in like such a, a small, but really important market in the, ho- in the hospitality world um, from a design perspective. And obviously you do a lot of residential as well, but what do you think was this, the, the symbiosis or genesis of having BAMO and being such a part of San Francisco? And like, what was your experience going there, starting there, and then still being there? And I don't know, what's what's kind of exciting about you where you are right now?
1: <laughs> that is a great question. And, um, you know, I, I launched my career in New York City, but very briefly, I worked for a theater design consultant there um, and loved it, but uh, friends and boyfriend called out from san francisco and and pulled me out to the west coast um and I knew that I wanted to be here eventually. I love this city so much um, and you know bamo uh is was brand new basically when I joined, and so I was able to get in on the ground floor and really kind of grow with the firm um and I think they they became the best place to work in san francisco and were the best place to work in san francisco for many many years and you know uh things change things evolve and there are new firms now but um for most of my time here there's nowhere else i wanted to work you know there was nowhere else doing the caliber of projects um around the world uh and and with such design focus uh so for me, I've always loved being here. And the fact that I had four principles to learn from, not just one, uh, meant that I got this, this, these little different experiences every year. We would switch around. I would work with Jerry and then Michael and then Pamela. Um, so I got all these different perspectives and these different strengths. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting how my style it has a little element of each of them. Um and and so I like to think that I am sort of taking them to the next next level, if you will.
0: Mm. Um one of the topics that I really enjoy talking about, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I wasn't planning on it, but um it's how we all learn from those before us who are mm-hmm. either there currently or from long ago but I find it very incredible that to have four principles to learn so much from, um, I'm curious about that. Like, how would you, as an, a nascent designer new to San Francisco, how would you split your time? How, how would that work to learn from each of these really incredible mentors?
1: Um, there were times when I was working for more than one of them. Uh, and And it was challenging, and I actually, for quite a few years, I worked on residential with Michael booth uh, very closely um as one of my coworkers said I was his dog's body. he's <laughs> gleaming. I did everything, I did anything and everything i even I would even like fill out the checks and put it in front of him to sign like that's how old school it was um but it was such a great uh, learning experience and a great sort of base uh, for doing hospitality, especially luxury hospitality later. And it, it puts you in a certain mindset as well. Um, but you do, you have to learn how to juggle. Uh, it, I mean, I, you, I think of them as clients, right? The principals were essentially my clients. And so it's sort of like juggling now. You, you juggle different client expectations, different client working styles, different um, processes for projects. Um, so it was, it was very much the same back then. And you, I kind of would cross-pollinate between them. You know? So Jerry has a much more architectural focus. And, and, and Michael is just Mr. Elegant. And Pamela is just so creative unbelievably creative and so you could kind of mix and match between them and and um yeah, i think they they enjoyed that cross-pollination as well mm.
0: yeah because i often find that the the mentors often learn just as much from the mentees maybe not just as much but they definitely learn a lot because you bring a fresh perspective in which i think is so necessary and not just you yes but also everyone in that and then so curiously how are you in effect taking that experience that you had with those four incredible humans and um paying it forward if you will with your with your new team as you guys grow and get ready for the next phase
1: yeah that's a great question and it's it's been um Kind of my new mission is is really growing the the next generation and growing my team. And um we we have such a great time working together. I think my my style, because I did grow up in the office. So I grew up as as a coworker with them for many years. So my style is really more collaborative. And um I think that it's also Okay, truth be told, I kind of micromanage, <laughs> but um, but it is more about we all have a voice, you know, and and I'm not a dictator, uh, but I do make the final decision, but but I want them to express and and have an opportunity to to fight for what they think is right and and it's a discussion. and you know, sometimes that discussion leads down to two explorations, and then we all um, make a decision together. Um, but I think keeping them inspired, keeping them, um, uh, giving them enough that they're, they've bought into it, you know, they have some ownership in the process and in the product, uh, is really important to me. And, um, I think I've been really successful at that because my, you know, like my, my team, kind of immediate team is just we're so tight knit and we're such a happy group working together it's been been awesome
0: well and i think that's a great example because you mentioned not too long ago at the beginning of just the caliber of projects that you guys have worked on over your tenure there and i'm sure we'll continue to work on and all the accolades it's it's really incredible and it's not just projects in San Francisco or California and the United States, like, you're talking incredibly, um, just celebrated topics all over the world, different mm-hmm. cultures. And it's, and I think that's really a great way to kind of segue into the, as far as how you make your team feel happy and everything else. Like, how do you, how do you translate that into those projects and hospitality at large?
1: You mean how do we how do we make the clients happy? Yeah,
0: or the people, or the guests going to there. Like what? Ah, there's a certain yeah. thread of of hospitality that's or how you're making. I heard you just say how you make others feel happy and this and that. Mm-hmm. Like how are you? How do you take what you have on, in a small scale and apply right. it to all those other incredible projects around the world?
1: Yeah. How do you define I mean,
0: hospitality?
1: How do you define hospitality? Um, well, I think at its core. Hospitality is about caring, right? Um, it is taking care of people that come to stay with you, uh, showing them that um, you're gonna take care of their needs, you're gonna make them feel comfortable, you're gonna make you're you're welcoming them. Um, and then kind of building on that base. I think hospitality has this incredible opportunity to really lift people out of their everyday experience. And um, you can create this immersive world that uh, brings people joy on multiple levels, whether that is a warm social interaction with the hotel staff or opportunity to connect with other guests, or um, you know making sure that everything uh, functions well and, and is intuitive. The wayfinding's intuitive so. You know, you make people feel um, like they—they're not stupid. They know where to go. They can figure it out on their own. Um, and then, of course, design—you have to have a, an incredibly compelling, wonderful design, um, a, a fantastic food and beverage culinary experience. Um, so you have the social, psychological, uh, uh, physical, sensory experiences, and then. Kind of topping that off are um, this idealistic sense where, uh, you know, people feel good about their choice. They feel good that they've selected something that uh, reflects their their style or their stature or their value set, um, whether it's sustainable or it's a, you know, a premier brand or um, it just has some cool, fun, hip factor to it. So, at each level, at each stage, the more you kind of um, reinforce that positive feeling, it just sort of spirals up and you put people in a frame of mind to experience life in a richer and more meaningful way. Mm. And when you think about it, you know, when you're in a good mood, you're optimistic, um, you are more sociable, you're more apt to strike up a conversation. Um, you're just more open to new experiences. And that that is where you create those memories in hospitality.
0: Yeah. And I think you said something at the beginning of that, which is like, I think with respect to wayfinding, which, which made me think, um, it's intuitive, right? There's this right. intuitive feeling that you have. But I find, especially with wayfinding, is if it's done so well it it's almost it's not noticed right it's like yeah. if you do it really That's really well cool. yeah and then so in a way it's like you you miss out on kind of sh- other people really recognizing that and and improving it because you're just kind of going with the flow typically i find that people only really notice wayfinding when it's not right or wrong and yeah. uh and then there's frustration comes up and then um yeah. but i also really like how Okay. So you have that kind of intuitive nature, but then there's the intentional nature of what you're trying to right. design and what you're trying to what the end goal or the thesis is of what you're trying to do. So yeah. how do you find balance between those with your team and on the on the projects that you're on? So how do you find balance between just being completely natural and intuitive, but also totally intentional?
1: Is, I think uh I have to say, at the luxury level, it is it's hard because you have to check so many boxes for luxury where on lifestyle hotel projects, you don't have to have quite so many bells and whistles, um, and you can do things that are maybe a little more out of the box. Um, but what we have done on my projects more recently is Uh, we, we actually spend more time in concept and we have a, a, like super strong concept that is the simple, that is, um, well-defined, uh, that has a lot of, um, direction as to what's our approach to lighting, what's our approach to materials, what's our approach to details, um, what kind of, uh, formality level are we trying to hit, um, and, and it just becomes this roadmap for the project that it makes it so much easier for the team to kind of fall in line and, and know where they're going. And um, so it sort of streamlines the process. Um, but at the same time, you know, you don't want every space to be the same. So you have to kind of give different elements to each space. Um, that make it unique so so it's it's not just a flat one-dimensional experience um but there is kind of a thread that that carries through a common thread that ties the project together
0: okay on the luxury side and this idea of checking a lot of boxes i'm always very intrigued by that because sometimes the boxes you have to check to be considered luxury mm-hmm. are very nonsensical like you need so many drawers in in there in in a room or you need i don't even know what they are but there's to get that five diamond or whatever it is there's there's these very prescriptive um needs that you that you must have yeah but oftentimes i find
1: like who who uses crown molding anymore
0: (laughs) right right so and and i feel like in a way luxury For whatever it means and you can have as many boxes as you want to check it it really comes down to i I was talking to someone i said i was like it's like how the supreme court ruled on pornography it's like you know it when you see it (laughs) so so i'm just like i I understand with luxury you know it when you see it or feel it but also like what aside from crown molding what are some of the the boxes that you need to check, but might not be worth what no i I guess everything's worth what, but what 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 boxes frustrate you that you have to check when you're when you're really working your roadmap
1: right, right um i mean there there are certain dimensions you have to hit for showers, say, you know where where maybe um the shower experience would be just as nice if you made it slightly i don't know longer, what have you. Um, or you have to have, uh, there was always a requirement. You have to have the makeup mirror mounted to the wall. I mean, come on, (laughs) those things always get broken. They always look like crap in the end. Uh, and, and actually uh, some of the brands are starting to pull away from that. Thank goodness. Um, and just all the stuff you have to have at the bedside, uh that you know you don't necessarily have to have if you're a lifestyle hotel you can do something a little more chic and a little more minimal um and you know it may not be as comfortable so there is a trade-off uh and and I think that's why a lot of the luxury brands stick with those standards is because they know what makes their guests comfortable and what their guests expect um so I think Yeah. There's boxes to check. I think designers, and I know I have, I'm sure uh, my, my cohorts have as well. have started to challenge some of those boxes and really say, you know, it's just, could, could we do it a different way? Is this really necessary?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I like where it's all going because right now everyone's kind of rethinking what everything Mm -hmm. means from staying longer to work to leisure, or whatever everyone's calling it to, yep. you know, just existing for a longer time in the, in another location. Yep. Um, and maybe that's also a good place to go. As you think about, you know, your stewardship coming in as a leader in the company and char- helping plot a new course, like your, your, your opinion, direction, ambition matters a lot now. Yeah. Um how are like how how are you taking Bamo into this new air, new world of luxury um and I and you mentioned sustainability and like where do you see your vision over the next 5 to 10 years?
1: I think that's the question on everyone's mind including mine <laughs> right now. Um and uh I don't have I don't have a full and final answer. I have, I have ideas, right? I have some thoughts that I am kicking around and, and we actually are at this moment trying to drill down on exactly what, what's the next, next step, where are we headed? Um, but I think, uh, things have been going really well to date and, um, everyone's kind of excited about the future here. We we've been, we've, been in a funny phase with the pandemic, uh, but we're back in the office now. I think people are energized about being back together. Um, we're starting to to find our corporate culture again and do things as a company, do things as a group and start to pull us back into this cohesive uh, office that we used to be and scattered a bit with the pandemic. So, so that's step one is kind of get our internal corporate culture back to a place where we feel like we're, we're all clicking together. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I am, I am so incredibly blessed, Dan. My team is amazing. I mean, the people that I've worked with for some of them, 20 years, honestly. So um, the fact that they're, they're still there and they're still doing amazing work and um, I, I, I don't want to lose any of them. Right? So the goal is to just keep, keep us all working together as a cohesive unit, um, and, and chase, you know, see where, see where we go and, and chase bigger and better things. It's really interesting. We, um, we did this project for two venture capital firms. Mm -hmm. Um, we called it our sexy office project. Uh, Because it's an office project, but it's kind of cool and kind of fun. And uh, it was their their individual office spaces. And then they had a joint space that they used for events, for collaborative um, meetings, etc. And it's in the Ferry Building in San Francisco. So amazing, amazing. Historic building. um, Used to be the biggest port in the world other than London, because before the bridge was built, everything came in by boat. So the ferry building, you know, was where everyone shuttled through. So it's just an incredible history to that building and beautiful views of the bay and the bay bridge right there. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are event spaces in this historic uh, front room that we couldn't, we couldn't put anything on the walls. We couldn't really um, do much more than paint and put furniture in there, um, but it was it was so fun. And the both offices loved what we did. They're they're uh, kind of different facets of the same industry, and we we took that and we were able to sort of channel their brand into a physical form. They never had their had their own offices before. Um, at least not sort of designed for that. It was a bit more generically designed. So um, they, were, they were super happy. They hired us to do other projects for their other uh, developments. They've referred us to other clients. So suddenly we're back into office design again. Wow. Which is funny because the office, when I started, had done some law firm work. And then that sort of trickled out and we we focused more on hospitality and residential. But I think hospitality is resonating more and more with um, all different kinds of the, of markets. So office being one, healthcare, of course, being another, senior living. Um, so it's interesting where that's headed.
0: I love that you're saying that too, because in a, so many of these conversations that we've been having, um, when I say it's the collective, we just guests on the on the podcast, um, in especially in these larger, I wouldn't consider Bamo a like a massive interdisciplinary firm. Like you guys are a really awesome
1: We're firm,
0: <laughs> right? But it's like I I would say it's like much more boutique. And whenever I walk in there, I just feel warmth and it's beautifully lit and and small. But it's not like one of these you know, 50 floors in an office building kind of huge architectural firm that gets into hospitals and this and this and this and from aviation to hospitals to you name it. But what's interesting is in many of the conversations that I'm having, that I've been having with them, they're bringing the hospitality folks into the kickoff meetings of all these other meetings. So it means that we're doing something right on the hospitality side. And what do you think is the most right about that? Like, why, why, are, why are they bringing you in? Like, what do what you, in your opinion, what is hospitality? How is it helping these venture capital firms or other offices or other spaces um, exceed their clients' expectations?
1: I think everybody is focused on bringing people back to the office, creating these environments, these spaces that are compelling um that foster connection between people um that that are uplifting, you know, that that are fun, they're hip, they're they have a, a style attitude, they express the company um culture. And that that sort of strengthens a sense of identity for um not just the company itself, but the people who work there, right? Uh and Venture capital is interesting because they do have clients that they entertain. You know, there are meetings, but they also may have um, evening events or dinner parties, etc. cetera. And uh, they do a lot of uh, collaborations in, in teams. Um, there's a lot of uh, just informal meetings and things. Um, and I think, yeah, we're just, we're, we're sort of, wired up to create something that has a look and the style that that is um maybe more immersive more
0: yeah i think it's also a i think it's also a draw right you're you're yeah. everyone's trying to yeah. get creative with bringing people back to the office but if you think about it yeah everyone loves traveling and going on vacation and new experience right, right. so it's almost as if like how in this desire to bring people back to collaborate, how, how can we take the best of what everyone loves about travel and almost create this magnetism within the office place? Cause so many, you know, office designs that are out there, it's almost like you're phoning in, you're working. It's almost like the workplace systems are kind of what driving, um, the, the overall layout and design and the palette of, what's going on I feel like something's flipped that's really interesting I I hadn't thought about it that way
1: yeah it's become a gathering space Mm. in many ways
0: and there's something that you said in in your explanation there that made me feel as if there's almost like this um acceptance that people are not going to be back full-time all the time because there is this hybridization of of what work is becoming so how do we make it that much more impactful and enjoyable when the people are back.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: And then um, so in the I feel like the ferry building has gone through so many different iterations over, you know, the 20 however many years that I've been there. And they've done some really cool stuff. Um, where where are these event spaces? I'm very curious in that building.
1: It's on the second floor. Yeah. So the first floor is all shops and restaurants. Um Planted door was there, uh you know all these unbelievably n- niche uh fabulous esoteric shops for cheese and wine and yes. olive oil and um you know baskets and what have you dried mushrooms, oh my God, they're dried mushroom it's <laughs> mm. <laughs> like foodie mecca, <laughs> yeah,
0: there's always so many cool things in there, yeah, um for sure. Um, and then, so how often are they using these event spaces? Are they for themselves? Are they for like product launches? That it sounds like, because that's a pretty big space up there, if I remember correctly.
1: It's, um, so it's not the, you you might be thinking of their main atrium space. Maybe. They're actually in like behind the doors in the offices. Uh, so the event space actually looks out on Justin Herman Plaza. Uh, so it looks out where the cable car turnaround is. And the Embarcadero uh, is right out there. So it doesn't look at the water.
0: Okay. And the Justin Herman Plaza, is that, that's the one with the big sculpture on the mm-hmm. north side of the ferry building, on the yeah. other side of the Embarcadero. Is that where you two played the, like 1984 or six? They right? played an outdoor concert out there. Oh, okay. I feel like it did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was not there at that point.
0: Nor was I, but I've seen it on video a couple of times. Um so with your new stewardship heading into the future, um as a as a leader at Bamo, um, with all these great initiatives of just focusing on culture, getting keeping people, bringing, attracting new people, working on these great projects all over. Um what do you think, based on where we are now and from your experience? Like what's it What are you most excited about in the next 12 months that you're, that you're seeing out there?
1: It is so busy. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to keep my head above water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and part of that is uh, that I'm, I'm doing what I've always done. And then, then there is the whole like burning the ropes of running a firm and, and plotting out the future of it. Um, so it, it's kind of playing the balance of, of finding time to do all of that. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I'm excited that we were, we're starting to approach projects a little bit differently. Uh, one of the things that I launched in the pandemic was, um, an initiative I called Bama Green. Oh yeah. What's that? We're all- not that creative. Um. Where you know i I had a bit of an identity crisis in twenty twenty because I wasn't traveling. I was sitting at home in my bedroom working <laughs> um which just it's a lovely bedroom It's a nice big room, it was a nice setup, but it's just like, who am I? You know, I don't talk to people in person anymore. um it was really really challenging. And I kind of uh stepped back and thought about what where is the world headed? Where are we, what's important? Um, what can I do to make a difference? And one of the thoughts that just popped into my head was why are we not doing any, any kind of resilient or sustainable design in our office? We've done some. We actually did a house that is uh lead platinum. For, mm the greenest house in america it's uh, called tamala uh t a h m a h l a h and incredible project incredibly inspiring client where well, is that it's in it's in the bay area okay um i think it's in the south bay uh and d- has gotten a lot of press um mm. funny enough like a year after it opened not right when it opened um but yeah, so I thought, why Why can we not push that more? And so I started doing some research into it. And I have a LEED uh, uh, certification, but I've never done a Lead project. Um, and I've always had that as a, an aspiration. Um, and so I started coordinating with a couple of my senior people who are also interested in it. And. Um, we, we put together uh, just like a, a guide for our whole office of things to think about as you're, you know, um, trying to uh, m- look at ways to be more sustainable um, uh, that don't cost more money. You know, they actually cost less money uh, mm-hmm. upfront um, and certainly less in the long run. Um, and I, I think it's, it's just something that we all need to get on our radar. And I'd love to see that not just for BAMO, but everyone. Um, cause I think, uh, you know, we, we all need to, to jump on that bandwagon sooner rather than later.
0: I agree. And I got to say on the, on the lead side of things, I really love how it, the launch of that in 2000 or when it, I don't know when it first became super popular and part of the zeitgeist, like 2000, mid 2000s, 2005, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I got a lead. Uh, I became a lead accredited professional uh-huh. and it helped change our supply chains and like find other materials that you're right. It wasn't
1: yeah.
0: more of a, of an expense. Those products were there. Yeah. And then like with the leadership of, of countries, states like California, like you, they said, okay, you can't have added urea formaldehyde in any panel. And then yeah. soon you just couldn't even get the old kind of panels. They were just, were not available anymore. Yeah. But one of the things I was really disheartened by is lead tends to focus mostly on the core and shell and mm-hmm. then ongoing okay. operations, but not so much the FF any, all the stuff that yeah. like we all interact. And I, I, mean, I don't mean we as in the professionals, but like the guests, the people walking through it, the people, workers, all the things that everyone's really touching and feeling interacting with. Yeah. It doesn't really apply to that. And there's been a couple of new, really cool new initiatives, like MindClick is one that comes to mind and, and others where it's like, they're recognizing that if a building lasts for a hundred years, the FF&E that goes in and out of it probably has more of a profound impact on um. The environment that yeah. the building of the building so why aren't we measuring that stuff and i think yeah. through the efforts of like you and and um mind click and then a whole, you know other ones there's there's a lot of really earnest work going into that to like how do we measure it and then how sure. can we affect change so what what are you yeah. seeing in that world
1: yeah so um We actually worked on a a project in Costa Rica that's in development now, and um, one of the eye-opening things we found out is that Costa Rica doesn't allow you to throw away furniture or get rid of furniture when you want to remodel. Um, So as a a hotel property, um, you have to find a way to recycle or repurpose it, or you can have it stored but you have to pay for it to be stored but Mm -hmm. you can't just throw it away um so it puts a whole different emphasis on how you design that furniture um and it reminds me of something that i came across as i was doing some research for my keynote which is this notion of emotionally durable design and it's this idea that you um you have these products these things that you keep uh forever because you love them because they 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 look good they feel good um you have an emotional connection to them because you you just like them right uh, so it goes to that sort of um, intuitive functionality um you know what what makes people Fall in love with objects or pieces of furniture, what have you. Um, so to the extent that we can design that in, I think so much the better for our clients, so much the better for uh, the world, maybe not for furniture manufacturers. <laughs> but I think that you know you would you would adapt, right? and you would start doing things that maybe cost more upfront um, because they're going to last because they have to last.
0: Well, I would also, I would say on the front, one of the things I love about providing furniture to hotels is yeah. more often than not, that stuff's not getting thrown away. Yeah. And you go through these conversations now, like with owners, it's oftentimes when they liquidate rooms, they will go to a liquidation center or they'll get repurposed right. or resold. Yeah. Um, sometimes True. they, sometimes they just go to the landfill but it's not a lot of extra effort to have it go to a Habitat for Humanity or sell it to someone else who's renovating. So, you know, while the warrant, you're way past whatever usable warranty, more often than not, these contract quality items are really designed to last.
1: They are painful.
0: And I think a lot of ownership groups as they're negotiating their um, FF&E install and liquidation, just need to really be mindful of how they word those contracts because just how they how they um award the liquidation portion and create accountability around it can have profound effects.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting. We we did a project in Uruguay, the Carmelo Resort. Yeah. And um it was unbranded when we did the initial design, and then it opened as a Four Seasons, uh, and then it became a Park Hyatt or part of the Hyatt Unbound collection, I think, um, and then it's been closed for a couple of years, and um, I just checked the website again because I was curious uh, if it was going to re- be rebranded, and it looks like they're opening without a, a flag, um, but it's the same designs that thing opened in 99 or 2000 it is the same furniture it is the same design and it still looks awesome yeah so um yeah i just i forget when it was that i i noticed i'm like oh my gosh that's the same headboard that's the same chair that's the same lobby sofa you know uh I wonder how long i are going to keep that. And so I check it every once in a while. It's like, wow, it is still, it's still there. And what's crazy about that is um, the client had this love of Balinese design. Mm-hmm. And so in Uruguay, he's from the Middle East, that so he wanted the project to have this Balinese quality to it or Balinese art. And so the, the project has this Uruguayan element um, that's kind of the base. And then it has all these Balinese dolls and, and you know, carved uh, art pieces, et cetera, um, that, that strangely work in that setting. And, and so it's this really unique, funky, funky vibe um, that you can't really peg a time to right it's not going to date because there's no there's nothing trendy about it um so it's just i don't know i find that project kind of fascinating
0: so i'm um, your keynote was it called it was called emotionally durable design or it is called
1: it was called the intersection of uh design and wellness i think
0: okay so uh, now i'm curious about that how did you decide you wanted to do a keynote or did someone ask you how did you work on it like How did that whole thing come to me? That's all. That's incredible.
1: Um, So the International Luxury Hotel Association asked me if I would do a keynote, uh, I think a 15 minute keynote, so short and sweet. Um, And I had, I'd started, you know, kind of looking at design trends because so many people ask designers, what, what do you see in the future? Um, What's coming up? And uh, so I was, I was prepping for that and, and it sort of spun into um, this, this keynote because well-being was the word of the year in 2021. And I I um, had been intrigued by what that actually meant, you know, and does di- design actually play a part in well-being? And um, so I'm looking at I'm starting to look at macro trends and looking at, you know, how do you predict where we're headed next? And so I started looking backwards and through history at different eras. And it was kind of fascinating, you know, between the 1920s and the 1930s, you had the Great Depression. And so the 20s is art deco and exuberance and, and, um, you know, expensive materials and, and these flamboyant patterns and then you get to the 30s and the 40s and you saw the rise of Bauhaus and democratic design ideals and everything gets very rectilinear very machine made designed for the masses um and it just it was really interesting like okay well what what else what other eras are there and then you start looking at the 60s with the TWA terminal and that wild crazy design and the 70s with um you know John Portman's atriums and and you start to say oh yeah that's when they started taking some serious drugs <laughs> um and then the 80s was kind of a reaction to modernism you had your uh postmodern style and it it just sort of dawned on me it's like we're design actually reflects what's going on in the world it reflects our kind of social conscious if you will in many ways and so what does that say for us today you know and wellness is such a big thing and so what what is it that is going to make people happy and we're looking for joy honestly i think so many people i've heard that word so many more times since the pandemic is i'm just i just want some joy in my life or i want mm-hmm. hotels to be more joyful um and there's a website that i came across called the aesthetics of joy mm-hmm. and the the title caught my eye because um I was intrigued by this idea that there's certain uh, an aesthetic style or aesthetic quality that bring people joy um and this this author uh, has a blog and she writes about all things related to joy and um mental health, but she does dip into what physical characteristics bring us joy. and I thought her her thesis was kind of interesting which is that um there's a evolutionary component to why we like certain visual cues right so we respond to um, rounded forms they make us feel safer not going to hurt you not pokey um we like natural light uh biologically we like bright light we like bright colors um, we like a sense of openness um, we like uh, to discovering things that sense of delight um, we like the human form we like anthropomorphic things um, and we like texture uh, we actually like texture when we're kind of sad or not feeling well it, it has that tactility and sense of comfort Um, and then we love the look of abundance you know like you have a, a, a big plate tray full of cupcakes you know there's nothing more joyful than seeing like 40 cupcakes um so it was it was just fascinating to me uh that there there is this connection between aesthetics and and our our sense of of happiness and it kind of goes back to that uh original um how do you define hospitality and and finding things that make people happy that kind of add to that upward spiral um of of giving people a more positive feeling
0: i love the idea of an upward spiral
1: instead of a a downward spiral
0: No, it's great because it's real it's it's you know, that whole idea that we were talking about with with offices or just that hospitality lens. It's yeah, there's an opportunity to uplift those walking through every single space. Yep. And I'm always just for all the conversations that I have with designers, I'm just always um, I don't know, just awestruck that you guys can have that idea of whatever, whatever it may be, that's contextualized by where and when you're doing it, but also just the execution and, and then you hear the reviews or just, you're just a fly on the wall where you're hearing people talk and, you know, they're just, they're lighting up or when they recount a memory of how they felt, you know, at that hotel in Bangkok that you did, you know, it's, uh, it's, it must, it must be very rewarding
1: it is it it absolutely is. Um, I will tell you, I did my most recent project that I did over the summer in the course of a couple months was a the creation of a teacher's lounge at my kids' high school, and it is a big high school. Uh, it's never had a teacher's lounge. There's something like two hundred teachers, and um, the PTA was working on a, a student center and there was this space that was occupied by a couple of uh, the gym, gym te- one of the gym teachers and one of the like counselor people. Um, and they were just rattling around in this big space and, and they thought, what if this was a teacher's lounge? You know, they, they have such trouble with teachers leaving wow. um, and, and high turnover especially since the pandemic. Uh, So they kind of thought, you know, wouldn't it be great for the teachers to have a space where they can create the sense of community. And um, so my husband was working on the student center. He kind of pulled me in. He's like, you're taking the teacher's lounge because that's all furniture. That's all you. And uh, so I worked with a couple other uh, parents and, um, We got some vinyl flooring on the chief. We uh, got some furniture donated. We found stuff secondhand. I did a a big Ikea, like, scouting trip. And um, I think we, I really wanted to redo the kitchen, but that didn't happen. Um, But I think we spent, I don't know, $10,000 at that. And we had a teacher's lounge. And the teachers were thrilled. Oh my gosh, they were so excited. Um, well, I anyway. I think that's
0: also an interesting story because so often, when you think of design or or transforming a space, it's you know you're prohibited by cost. But really, if you put in a little effort and tie it all together, and again, you have that skill. Um, yeah, it a little bit goes an incredibly long way, and then you can have that you know. That upward moving spiral that just yeah. makes everyone feel better because I I think back to the the teachers' lounges when I was a kid they were just these dark <laughs> rooms where like every it, like smoke was billowing out and they're just probably talking <laughs> crap about all the students that they have to deal with every day.
1: Well, you but, needed Bamo to design your teachers' lounge.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. So then, what was the what was the outcome for the teachers? Like when you hear them when you're the fly on the wall there and you're you're hearing the the before and after or i guess there was no before because it just didn't even exist what yeah. what is the comments that you're hearing
1: so um you know we sent a questionnaire beforehand to see what they wanted and and would they use it and what would they use it for um so uh it had a, a seating area so they could have some kind of social interaction time there were um a, three Tables for lunch uh, and a couple smaller tables scattered around for lunch or for working. Uh, And then we did this taller uh, countertop table by the kitchen because there wasn't an island. So that sort of separated the kitchen area and created a space. If they had committee meetings or what have you, they could put food out there, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm applying my hospitality expertise to this teacher's lounge space. Um, and they, they said, we feel loved. We feel like people care about us. So it was amazing. Yeah.
0: That's freaking amazing. That's, that must've been the best feedback you've gotten, or maybe not the best, but, but definitely the most rewarding feedback you've gotten on almost any project.
1: For sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, you don't, when you're designing a hotel, you're not. Designing for a very small group of people, right? This, this was very personal. And I think, you know, it wasn't just me, all the parents um, put together a, a just incredibly welcoming environment. And we stocked the kitchen with beverages, with, um, you know, coffee, tea, some snacks, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I think the teachers were blown away. Wow. I didn't expect
0: it. See, that's that unexpected surprise is yeah. wonderful for the, both the, the deliverer of hospitality and the receiver of.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so uh, Student Center next year, um, that's a bigger project. Uh, and, you know, we've done another pro bono project. Vamo did the Ronald McDonald House down um, in Stanford seal oh, wow. packer children's hospital so, and that was super rewarding as well
0: is that in palo alto or menlo park yep. there it's in palo alto? Okay. palo alto yeah those are always amazing
1: Wow. yeah so we did their their lobby their kind of great room area and a kid's kid's playroom off of that and again you know it's it's so rewarding to be able to use um the skill of knowing what makes people feel comfortable uh, to create an environment where, you know, it may be populated by people who make 200,000 a year or people who make 20,000 a year, you know? And so you don't want something that is so fancy or so um, over the top uh, that it, it makes people feel like they shouldn't be there, they don't belong. Mm-hmm. um, but you you want something that's comfortable that they they feel like they can hang out in there
0: well plus, it's hard enough to have a loved one be sick in and in, in a hospital forever, and then you start and then you need to be there to just care for them and give them physical emotional support, and then you're mm-hmm. stuck with pain. I don't even think like, you could be there for months, you could be stuck, and um, yeah, those Ronald McDonald houses are really inspirational and yeah. um just do so much good on so many levels because you So
1: i do luxury but i also do (laughs) (laughs) non-luxury
0: i love yeah but i I think again it's about making everyone you know going back to when we first started talking it's making them feel welcome and comfortable and and again that's the thread that you know you can pull it up into luxury yeah bring it down into anything else but the But it's the thought and the effort and the care that's that's transcends and transforms into the physical space.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Okay, so and if you think about when you when you first arrived in San Francisco, however long ago, and you started working at BAMO, if you the leader that you are now and keynote speaker could give yourself your younger self some advice, what would it be?
1: Oh boy, it would be have confidence, have confidence in yourself and your abilities. Um, I think that is the the difference between being good and unsuccessful and being good and successful is having confidence in your ability and who you, you are.
0: Yeah, confidence goes a long way but also very hard to recognize sometimes it's a scary place to be. I think it's also, you know, needed to be vulnerable to be able to do that effectively and Mm -hmm. have that effectively. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Well, this has been awesome. And, um, how how can people learn more about you or find you or Bamo or just how, how can people get in touch? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, website, they can email me. Uh, happy to give out my email. Um, I am on LinkedIn. Uh the office has Instagram. That's a better Instagram account. My personal Instagram is not not design related. <laughs> lots of bread, lots of baking projects.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're designing bread and uh new cultures of San Francisco sourdough.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: um Well and I just want I want to thank again, thank you. For your time and
1: yeah, thank you. I'm just
0: so grateful to to be here and to share your story with with all of our listeners that are growing by the week.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It's been amazing. It's always a joy to talk to you, and I hope our paths cross again soon.
0: I know they will because I will be out in San Francisco shortly. Um, okay. And I also want to thank our listeners because again, every week they grow, and it's just crazy to me because I think also. If I were to guess, I think it's like you were saying, hospitality transcends everything. And I think that while I think the audience started as people who were designing, building, owning, operating bars, hotels, and restaurants, um, I think everyone is able to learn a little bit from, from all these conversations. So if, it, if you have learned or it's changed your thinking on it, it's all word of mouth. So please um, pass the word and thank you for your time and your, your ears. Thank you.